Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick, and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, IHateCritics.com, and Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Listen to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Is Stitcher even around anymore? I even... Just, I have no idea. I've, I've been saying that actually, for so long. Actually, no, I think they're, I think they're, I think done. they're so going can, away because you could get all the office ladies extra stuff on Stitcher. And I think they made a, an announcement right before the strike about that. So yeah, I need to change up that <laughs> opening. I've been saying Stitcher <laughs> for a while. Uh, anyway, a lot, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, more or less, we're there. If we're not, let us know, and I'll happily try to get on it. Uh, but please go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. For some reason, that chart's the one that matters the most, and we'll read your five-star review on the air. Uh, we're also on YouTube uh, as well. Listen to the show. Uh, we have Patreon.com is the best way to support the podcast. Go to patreon.com slash critics pod uh, then we have our tea public link over at ihatecritics.net up in the right hand corner you can click on that uh, to get some of our outdated podcast merch Sean where can people read your reviews uh, you know it's uh, at podcast Sean on Twitter I've got all my shares there and of course the uh, the archive blog is Sean at the movies.blogspot.com and uh, geeks.media, horror.media for the stuff uh, that I've been posting lately. Jeff, where can people find you or get your artwork? Uh, JeffLasseter.com is my website where you can find links to my Etsy and my TeePublic and anything else I'm doing. My uh, Instagram is Jeff Lasseter Pop Cult. Uh, go there to see where I'm going to be uh, as far as. Um, the upcoming conventions and things like that this weekend. If you're in the Quad City area, I'm going to be at the Rock Island County Fairgrounds in East Moline on Saturday the 9th at the QC Toy Show, um, selling some of my art and hopefully getting rid of some of my Star Wars collection. So come and see me. Awesome. Ooh. And all those links can be found in our show notes. All right, I'm going to head out. You guys can take the show from here if that works. All right, bye, Bob. All right, see bye, you Bob. guys later. <laughs> so, Jeff, I was just uh, posting uh, on our Facebook today uh, regarding a new article that I've written for Geeks.media, uh, and this article is all about embracing the future of film criticism. And what it is is talking about this whole thing. There is this controversy going on around people who are so-called influencers versus people who are considered critics. And I just wanted to put this out there just kind of at the start to say that for me, when it comes to film criticism, I don't feel like it's a good idea to start gatekeeping people out of the business, especially young, diverse voices. Uh, the, the, the way we've been approaching this, there's a lot of critics out there who are like, well, these people are just... Uh, they just want access to celebrities and they're going to do this for free and they're going to ruin our industry. And it's like, dude, junketeers or junket whores or star fuckers have always been part of the, the critical landscape. Like, and I, and I don't mean this as shade on any of the members of the Critics' Choice Association who I'm with, I'm a member of. I, I really enjoy those people, but there are some um, in, our bro- in our brotherhood, sisterhood, that... Uh, are just there to get access to celebrities and wield that as their sort of, you know, way of perpetuating their career. And I don't see being an influencer attending, you know, film premieres and junkets being any different than the kind of junketeering we've seen over the past 70 years of Hollywood interactions. Uh, people have been leveraging relationships with celebrities this entire time, ever since some, ever since the first person wanted to promote a movie, somebody was you know willingly throwing their journalistic credibility aside to give them a platform. So it, it's kind of silly to me that that's uh, a line we're trying to draw. But then we're also so many of us painting with this broad brush of taking these very young, very smart critics and kicking them out the door because they're on TikTok or they're on YouTube and or they're you know doing Instagram stuff, and it's like. There are a lot of really smart, talented people 
who are doing some of the best film criticism on YouTube and even on TikTok. I wrote specifically about a young woman named Jay Stubes on, on TikTok who's phenomenal. She's a tremendous critic, and she doesn't even want to call herself a critic. But I imagine the reason that she doesn't is because there are so many guys my age or older who just jump into her comments section and, and tell her why she's not a critic because I don't know she's in her 20s and she hasn't seen this movie or that movie. It's like trying to talk to some dude about going to, you know, talk, I really like Pink Floyd. Oh, well, have you listened to the division bell? <laughs> or wearing a, wearing a Motley Crue shirt and then some random 50-year-old dude walks up. Oh, you like Motley Crue? Name three of their songs. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of that energy in this. A lot of that en- energy in this uh, discourse about about critics and especially about young critics on different platforms. Uh, that's the worst one. That's the one I hate. Like, well, it's just let, these people are doing some incredible things. Amanda the Jedi on YouTube is maybe one of the best, if not the best, young critic going today. She's doing so much incredible work that that goes kind of under the radar because a lot of mainstream critics don't want to talk about people like her and what she's doing. Uh, you know, there's and Patrick Willems is another one on YouTube who's just he's doing these phenomenal video essays that are some of the best criticism going today, and we're we're going to end up dinosaurs and end up killing our entire industry of film criticism because we won't embrace these young people who are doing incredible things in film criticism. You know, I think the bridge between old school critique and new uh, platforms for criticism, whether it's TikTok or whatever, is podcasting because podcasting was embraced by Gen X Mm-hmm. And and then you know millennials right away, and I think that the people who begrudgingly you know started going on podcasts or making their own uh, to talk about movies and TV shows as critics, you know that was already something that they kind of had to quote unquote deal with to be a critic, you know, it's, yeah. Oh, we've got to open ourselves up. We can't just write in the newspaper anymore. We've got to talk to people. And there's a real resistance to people, you know, people our age, like, you know, thirties, late thirties to early sixties who, uh, they just can't seem to wrap their head around how fast technology is taking off. Mm-hmm. And there's always a new social media around the corner. There's always, uh, you know, a new way to do something that they've been doing since, you know, 1985 or whatever. And especially guys in their 40s and 50s are so resistant to change and embracing new technology and that kind of stuff that. I think that it's just what's going to end up happening is, you know how they always say, well, I can't wait till the racists all die out and, you know, the newer generation is going to be better. That's not necessarily true. And I think it's the same with like, you know, new criticisms about movies and TV and music, whatever. It's, it's, the old critics aren't going to die out because there's always going to be people who think that because they write for like, I don't know, the New York times that their criticism is somehow weightier than, uh, you know, somebody who does something on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And instead of, instead of saying that it's, well, that's not real criticism. Try thinking about it as like, Oh, that's a new way to get criticism out there. And if more people get interested in critiquing movies and music and TV and things like that, then maybe they'll start to read some of the stuff that people who've been around longer do. There's always a gateway. And I think like TikTok criticism or blue sky or Twitter, or it's still Twitter on my iPad. That's why I'm still calling it that. I refuse to update. Um, You know, that, they're always going to see that as a gateway to the world of criticism, whether, you know, of media critique. Um, 
And I think that's, that, that's great. I, Oh, what's a pot. You know, I, I had somebody asked me this weekend, what's a podcast. And they were 15. And I was like, well, let me explain it to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that's yeah, a good. It's a, <laughs> I, I you've, you made a, you made many great points there that I can that can that I can jump off of because like uh, the this, we should have been critics should have been on the cutting edge of this you know as it was as it was building when it came to podcasts this should have been an opportunity for us to take criticism in that direction and you know YouTube even especially I mean guys who are not you know people who are not uh, considering themselves film critics are doing amazing criticism on YouTube. Uh, Jenny Nicholson, even some of the big, you know, the big names like uh, D- Drew Gooden and, D- and Curtis Connor. And uh, they're doing Danny Gonzalez. They're doing film criticism. They're talking about bad movies for the most part and making fun of them. But that is media criticism. And <laughs> to look at that and go, well, that's not, that's not what a film critic does. They aren't critics. Well, no, they're not. They're not going to call themselves critics because it's not cool anymore to do that. Yeah. But also, uh, they're doing media, you know, liter- they're doing, they're, they're the future of media literacy right here, telling people how to critically look at media. And to pretend that that's not true is just, it's very silly and it's killing the industry. It's killing the business, uh, treating it like that and, and, it's pushing young people away from actually being media literate and being part of what we do. And it's very frustrating to me to continuously hear older voices. I mean, it's like, honestly, like the, the guard of film criticism right now is starting to remind me of Mitch McConnell. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Is it freezing every 10 minutes? <laughs> it's, it's Sorry. We haven't had to, critics for so many years uh, didn't have to defend themselves from the audience. They didn't have to put, a, put something out there in the world and then you know take take audience feedback all the time you know and and now that is something you really need to engage with and it's not comfortable for a lot of people to have to you know defend what they say i mean we started this podcast uh with myself and bob on that premise that he wanted me to defend you know the dark night rises and i was like i i can do that (laughs) and i you know and it led to where we are now. And and I I like that. I like the discourse. I love having these conversations. And I and you know bringing MJ along now on on the ninety three podcast and having this incredibly young voice uh, expressing uh, expressing opinions in a very critical way it has been incredibly rewarding for me. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is the word influencer. Hmm. Because that has such nasty connotations, um, right? You know, it, Instagram influencer. Okay, what do what do you do? Well, I you know I wear suits and or swimsuits, and I talk about the kombucha that I'm drinking and do all that. Okay, but so you're just an advertiser? Well, no, I'm an influencer. Well, what is that? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you influence people who don't really think about stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they they think about stuff now that they're seeing it. And that's basically what movie critics do is they influence people to go see something or not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, it it <laughs> blows up spectacularly in their faces, like Siskel and Ebert doing horrible reviews of all the Friday the 13th movies to the point where they gave out Betsy Palmer's address on air. Um you know, they're influencing people to see or not see a movie based on a perceived notion that because they are on TV or they are, you know, in the newspaper or wherever, that they mm-hmm. somehow know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just saying that, and I don't want to be political about it, but I think part of the reason that Trump got elected was because he was on TV and everybody, you know, it's name recognition. That's why there's Mm -hmm. political ads out now for, you know, next year's election. It's Mm -hmm. because it's name recognition. And if you see somebody on TV, well, they're all, they're already successful. So of course they're going to be more successful. And I think that's where some critics get up their own ass. Yeah. About, Oh, well I'm on, you know, I'm traditional media. I'm on, I, 
write for Entertainment Weekly or, you know, the New York Times. So I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that doesn't, that just means that you lucked into that position because you did something right. But it doesn't mean your opinion is any better than, you know, Daisy May Bluebell on Instagram or TikTok talking about how, oh, I went to see the new Friday the 13th movie and it was really cool. And I did this and this and this. There's nothing wrong with being happy about seeing something that even if most people think it's critical, you know. I do think there's a place for, for expertise and, and dedicated time and, and education in this. And I do, yeah. I, I, I do think that that is a, an important aspect. I think criticism should encourage people to become more educated about what they're watching. I, uh, I don't necessarily, I mean, not to put myself up my own ass, but I don't want to necessarily say that just a random person is as good as what, as has a, has an opinion as educated as mine. Because <laughs> I have done this. No, I don't. I, but you but, know, I mean, we all know that there are there are quote unquote influencers who are actual decent critics who that's my are point. just dismissed. Can't paint them all just, the same brush. Yeah. Like, there's a there's an insidious aspect to to the supposed influencer thing where these people are just they're literally doing commercials and not telling anybody they're doing commercials and they did this commercial like. Uh, you know, I wanted to get access to Vin Diesel, so I went to this junket and interviewed him and put it on my Instagram. And now I'm a, you know, I'm a film influencer, and that's there. There's an insidious quality to that because a journalist has to tell you that they're doing, you know, that type yeah. of material, whereas an influencer doesn't see themselves as having to to follow the same ethical guidelines and. Uh, and also, you know, the, I understand the defensiveness on the part of a lot of entertainment journalists that there are people who are willing to do this just for access to celebrities and not get paid for it. And these entertainment journalists are going to be losing their jobs because there are people willing to do the studio's bidding for no pay, just access to celebrities. That's that is certainly yeah. an insidious aspect of this. But frankly, if a few junketeers lose their jobs, you know, a few star fuckers lose their jobs, that's not, I'm not going to cry over that. <laughs> You're not going to yeah. be missed if that's I mean, it's, job all this time. It's like, how many times have you watched Entertainment Tonight or shows like that where the people interviewing the celebrities on the junkets are just so clueless and quite frankly, don't know how it works you know, you've seen that interview with, I can't remember who did it, but where they asked Robert Downey Jr. about his substance abuse mm-hmm. and how, you know, how are you going to tell, talk about that to your new fans and your, you know, and he just, he's like, we're not doing this. This was specifically not on the table and walked away. It's going to work itself out like that. You know, just because that guy got on, I think it was the BBC or something, just because he got that interview, that doesn't mean that he's going to have those opportunities anymore. If he fucks up like that, just like the, you know, like I'm just throwing a name out there. Cause it's recognizable. Say Owen Gleiberman is like, well, I don't like this. I don't like this trend of TikTok, or whatever. So I'm going to do everything in my power to get rid of it. Well, it's going to work itself out. Mm-hmm. People aren't going to watch stuff just because somebody, you know, who wears the right hat on TikTok is talking to Vin Diesel. You know, they're not going to, they're just going to be like, Oh, this, what is this? Yeah. You know, the the best educated and, and the best, you know, best critics are going to rise to the top. Like I think Amanda, the Jedi and Jay Stubes have risen to where they are now, uh, because they're the best. They're very good at this. Uh, Jenny Nicholson is very good at what she does. You know, Danny and Curtis and drew are great at what they do. That's why, I see them because they're good. I don't see the bad ones. I don't, you know, the bad ones don't rise up on YouTube. The, generally speaking, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of bad, you know, film critics on YouTube who've gotten popular, but I don't see them. I only see the ones that I go looking for because I, I watch their stuff and, and their opinion proves to be very funny, educated, and, you know, just well-made and the best will rise to the top. Cause that's just the way it works. Uh, to- well, yeah. I mean- it's oh, the biggest cool. mistake in the world, though, for us to pretend that that is not part of film criticism. That is absolutely right. film criticism. 
you know, like I always see the real soups on stuff. Uh, Matt Ramos, and he's been on, you know, he's done some stuff for Cinemark. Mm-hmm. Boo hiss. Um, <laughs> I had a terrible experience. We'll talk about that when I talk yeah. about uh, this weekend. But, you know, he's worked with them a little bit. He's doing, you know, he, his YouTube is millions of people. Mm-hmm. And to say that he's not influential is, you know, lying. Uh, he's not for me necessarily because it's, it, it, you know, it's a lot of let's go. And, you know, this is the greatest thing ever, even if it's not, you know, and, and maybe that's a generational thing, but it's also, you know, you can talk about a movie and you can be really hyped about stuff, but if it's bad and you're still, you know, like filleting it, then you, you know, that's where, that's where the, the schism comes to me. Absolutely. The, it, and we are we are not far from a day where we're going to have a controversy come up where one of these uh, influencers is going to be found on the payroll of a, of, a, of a movie studio or Netflix or Amazon. And people are going, what are they paying you for? And they go, well, yeah. <laughs> you know how I liked you know how I said I liked that new Nun 2 movie. I didn't actually <laughs> see it. Uh, they just paid me to do a, a brand deal on it. And. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen down the road. There's going to be a big controversy. That's going to happen. And that person is going to get drummed out. Very simple. Yeah. I will weed those people out as we go. Uh, but trying to, <laughs> I put this in my article and you can read it on the, on the, uh, everyone's a critic Facebook page, but trying to push this, trying to stop this wave is like trying to argue with a tsunami <laughs> and get it to stop from coming. It's not yeah. going to work. You're not going to stop this. Uh, you've got to, You've got to let it play out. You've got to let the you've got to open the doors and let the good ones in, and some of the bad ones are going to get through too. And that's just the way it mm-hmm. is. All right, Jeff. Yeah. Let's, let's talk quickly. We're gonna, I'm going to use the box office as a jumping off point for our new movies this week, because the number one movie in America was The Equalizer Three at thirty four point six million dollars. Uh, no controversy at the box office this weekend. It was just straight up all Denzel all the time. The Equalizer 3 takes uh, Denzel's character to uh, Italy, where he has infiltrated a farm and killed a lot of people in incredibly violent fashion. This is bordering on a horror film, (laughs) what we see of what Denzel does to these drug dealing characters. Uh, He gets uh, meets the top guy. He kills him in a very spectacular fashion and ends up, uh, unfortunately, getting shot by a little kid. Uh, that nearly kills him. He gets uh, saved by a local doctor in a small Italian village uh, and nursed back to health. And he finds that this village is being menaced by the mob. And so he decides to take out the Italian mafia all by himself uh, with a little help from the CIA in the form of uh, Dakota Johnson. Or not Dakota Johnson, Dakota Fanning. Uh, and <laughs> this is a really, I had a lot of fun with this movie. It's extremely extraordinarily violent and then i think each of the equalizer movies have been extraordinarily violent but this one i mean he takes a gun off a guy and shoves it through his face (laughs) my god like like he's fucking jason Voorhees. but it's fun though it's fun to watch the violence is very exciting very bloody uh and it it is there's a part of me that i think there's a part of everybody that just likes to see very clearly drawn lines between good and evil. And, you know, like there are no, there's no shade of gray at all in the bad guys in the Equalizer movie, Equalizer 3 especially. No shade of gray. There's not even a characterization really. They're just evil. They're not only are they the mafia, they're funding terrorists with their mafia activity. Like they're just <laughs> all bad. And they're bullies. They do these little bullying bullshit things or they're you know, doing harm to very nice, you know, small Italian coffee shop owners. Like they're just dicks. And so watching them get violently destroyed by the side of good, there's just part of that little, you know, the rat brain part of you that just goes, yes, yes, kill, kill. <laughs> and I, I did. That was me watching the movie. I did. I enjoyed that. Um, I, I know this movie isn't getting the best reviews. There's a lot of people who are uncomfortable with the level of violence. They're, you know, they don't feel like 
at what 68 years old that Denzel Washington would be capable of this. I know Bob would find it hard to be hard to put himself in a situation. He would say he could beat up Denzel Washington if you're here. Um, and, uh, but I had a great time. I loved this. And I didn't realize there was even a two. Hmm. So, uh, and then this week was so busy. There was no way I was going to watch equalizer one, two and three. Mm-hmm. So no I did not need, see it. No real need to see them all. Uh, oh. they're all, they're all, they're all good, but it's not much of a continuing story. It's really a, you know, it's more of like a television show that has been upgraded with a, a real movie star and a big budget. So is it based on the TV show, The Equalizer? It is. Yes. Uh, it's the same okay. idea. Uh, the, you know, the TV show did, did this on a weekly basis, minus the violence. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, th- this is like, th- it's a good upgrade and it's a good franchise that uh, for, for, Den- for Denzel, you know, he's, he just continues to prove that he's a star. Every time, I, every time he makes one of these, he, he makes money off of it. This one has supposedly come in less than the others, but it's still going to do you know close to uh, over one hundred and fifty million dollars off of a sixty million dollar budget. So it's a hit, um, and I, I it it fits him. Uh, it's a it, there's a lot of like crossover with the John Wick franchise for sure. Uh, not in there, not that they're in the same universe or anything, but that you know the idea that one man versus a lot of different guys and this one man is better than them because he just has a certain set of skills a la Liam Neeson um <laughs> but other than that i mean you, you put i think john wick i think john wick probably does the action better uh but uh, having denzel do sort of a john wick thing uh is is also kind of cool i guess <laughs> it worked on me oh, anyway right. i maybe it's just i love this level of violence uh, the, yeah, because I think the evolution of action movies may be the horror film. <laughs> like, gotta, well, I mean, they go so far to impress people now that they're going to horror movie levels of violence. Well, they get progressively, you know, more and more violent every time a new one comes out. So, yeah, I can see that. Um, <clears throat> I do have one question, though. Mm-hmm. In a battle of the equalizers. Who would win? Would it be Denzel, Edward Woodward, or Queen Latifah? <laughs> Pretty sure Denzel's got that one. Okay. Just checking, you know, because <laughs> I forgot about Queen Latifah. <laughs> that one's like currently running. It's still, on the, it's still on the air. Wow. It is still on the air. So amazing. Hmm. Yeah, I recommend Equalizer 3. Good to know. Oh. All right, the the movie of the week, though, there's no doubt about it. It's called Bottoms. And this one is directed <laughs> by Emma Seligman and uh, co-written by her her star, uh, uh, Rachel Sennett, uh, also co-starring Io Atabiri. And this movie, <laughs> oh. I love this movie so much. It's about two uh, queer best friends who are going back to high school for, for their senior year, and they, they want to get laid. And the fact that they t- happen to be two young women uh, in this sort of idea that, that kind of jumps off of where, you know, American pie or super bad jumps off. It is different in a very exciting way. It's forcing people to confront the fact that, Hey, gay teenagers are horny too. Guess what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for years, like there've been young gay characters. They're not allowed to express themselves sexually on screen in order to make, you know, mainstream america more comfortable and and it's just been i i i think there are good movies out there that have portrayed young gay characters but allowing them to have this little lusty edge is it just it it's almost like revolutionary in a way for for young gay kids to see themselves in that way having just having actual sexual desire even as they're desperately awkward and unable to you know connect with other people but then it takes it in a whole, it takes like that super bad American pie premise and then adds in this element of Heather's that is really like elevates that. Not to say that it's derivative. It's not derivative. It just takes those ideas and builds off of them in the most exciting way to the point where they begin to, these two friends, Rachel Sennett and Io Edabiri, create this mythology around themselves that lead to them almost accidentally creating a high school fight club that happens to exist in this universe because there is this 
violent football rivalry going on in which their rivals are actually doing physical harm to people. Uh, and there's th- that takes it to this whole heightened level of outside of like your typical reality where people are being just <laughs> murdered in the background, I guess. And everybody is just kind of going about their lives as if like, well, this is just what happens during rivalry week. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so much goddamn fun. And every, every line just builds to something funnier and more exciting and daring and different and incredibly unique. Uh, this cast is amazing. Rachel Sennett is maybe the best actress working at the moment. I mean, she's just her timing. Her persona is just so her. It's just who she is. She's got a just amazing personal persona. Uh, then you have Emma Seligman, who I think is the single most original director working right now with this and Shiva baby. You watch a movie by Emma Seligman, you know it's by Emma Seligman. You don't even need to check the... She's so distinctive and stylish and, and unique. And I know it's only two movies that we're, that we're working from to, to build that impression, but I swear to God, I, if, you, if I saw her next movie and you didn't tell me it was her, I would know it was her because she has mm-hmm. her own style. Yeah, boy, did I love this movie. Um, <laughs> so I did not know what to expect. I just from the, I just saw the poster and I was like, Oh, okay. I assumed that the two football players were the bottoms because they, <laughs> they look on there. Right. Um, and I mean, the way miles Fowler caps were, uh, his, this character's name is Tim. Mm-hmm. The way he caps for Jeff Nicholas Galatine is so it's like one of the gayest parts about the movie. Um, but I, I got in just as the movie was starting and it's just, it, it's so matter of fact that these two are gay. It's just, that's, you know, they just talk about it and they don't, it's, it's refreshing that they're not like, um, you know, it's not a secret. They're not the, um, you know, they're not the, fifth build characters they're Mm. they're the stars and in every sense of the word um i don't know if you've watched the bear i watched a little bit yeah iowa berry is amazing in it she's just so real in everything that i've seen her in so far that i can't wait to see what else she does um you know rachel senna is she's like (laughs) she's like that girl that everybody likes but everybody's just a little afraid of you know, we all we all had that friend in high school. She's she, she's friendly, and everybody kind of knows who she is. And but they're not necessarily going to fuck with her because she's just a little frightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. and she plays that so well. And it's like they're not, you know, they're not the Hollywood lesbians, which are you know the they've got to be perfectly made up and perfect hair and all that. They literally look like they just they're going, they're in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my niece dresses the same way, you know, like a rugby shirt and sweatpants or whatever. Um, And even though everybody is like 25 and up, they all are really believable as teenagers. Well, especially Um, when you compare it to Heather's, like it's it's the same idea, you know, (laughs) and that, that, that that influence, that DNA is there in, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like PJ is PJ and Josie are kind of both Veronica from Mm -hmm. Heather's and they're well, Heather's, I love the movie Heather's, but none of the, none of the actual Heather's have as much depth as say, you know, like uh, Brittany or Isabel do as the popular girls. Um, I just gotta say, Brittany, played by Kaya Gerber, looks mm-hmm. exactly like her mother, Cindy Crawford. Oh wow, yeah, that wow, yeah, damn, that's her mom. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, you put a mole on her, and I would not be able to tell them apart. <laughs> she even sounds like her. I grew up watching, you know, Cindy Crawford hosting House of Style, and she sounds like her mom too. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't. I don't know how good you're going to be as an actress 
in the future, but you, you're really going to have to play your mom at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, everybody in there was just so fun. And, you know, Jeff as the, you know, captain of the football team and some of the, the posters that they make for him, it's, it, it's a heightened sense of the high school quarterback mm-hmm. that is so wrote in every single movie that has a high school in it. Yeah. Um, it, but it's just so heightened and, you know, the posters with him on it, you know, we believe in Jeff and it's like a cult <laughs> right. or, you know, smile. You never know what he might be watching <laughs> that, that poster. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Are they talking about Jeff or just guys in general? That little, oh. detail, those little details though. Like again, that's just uh, the great directors and a, the really great directors have that level of attention to detail where it's just something that's going to be passed on screen for just a moment and, and be gone. And they care enough to put that level of detail into it to give you that laugh that is not going to be a big part of the plot. It's just there to underline the entire universe. Like brilliant. Just goddamn brilliant. She did that. She did that in Shiva baby too, where she would just have these little details in that film that, that just made it stand apart from everything else. You could just sense she controls every aspect of what she's doing. She has a, a Rachel uh, Emma Seligman has this detailed map in her mind of exactly what she wants you to take away from each scene and the best directors do that. So you said Heather's, but there's another, there's something else that this reminds me of a lot. And I would love nothing more than to sit down with Emma Seligman and ask her and Rachel Sonnet if they were big fans of strangers with candy, mm-hmm. because it has that same sensibility. It's high school, but it's heightened and all the little, you know, like they're in strangers with candy. There were so many, uh, posters with the principal, principal Blackman, and you know the home of the concrete donkeys was just everywhere, and it's little bits like that that makes me wonder if maybe they were big fans of that. It almost feels like Strangers with Candy, like either before Jerry Blank came in or after she graduated finally, mm. um, and that that sensibility of everything's a little heightened. Uh, everything's a little, you know, like queer. Uh, even the non-queer characters are a little queer here. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like Mr. G, Marshawn Lynch, he, w- he, he looks and sounds like he would have come out of Flat Point High from Strangers with Candy. <laughs> um, there's they, they, That show had all these little weird characters like, you know, Stephen Colbert played Mr. Noblet and he was gay with uh, uh, Mr. Jelinek, the art teacher, but it was, they were closeted and all that. And that just, it's that sensibility Mm -hmm. that really, I I kept pulling that out during the movie. I was like, this is so flat point high. If they'd called it flat point high, it couldn't have been more on the nose. (laughs) I, I didn't, I'm not, I know of that show. I've never watched that show myself, so I can't uh, engage in that. But uh, yeah, I did that, that. I loved the heightened universe and I loved the, the, the I love yeah. the fight club stuff. The fight club mentions are, are so funny. And then actual, the, the, the little fighting that there actually is, you know, they go for it. <laughs> They're going for well, it in a big way. And I like that once, you know, like in any teen movie, the leads are ostracized. Because of, you know, like their ulterior motives are discovered that it instead of a fight club, it becomes a David Fincher club. And I love that little detail. <laughs> There's a little sign when the girl when when PJ and Josie are, you know, excommunicated and all the other girls are sitting watching mm-hmm. a movie at uh, Ruby's house. There's a little sign in the on the like the little island that says David Fincher club. And I just fucking laughed. Again, attention to detail, like the attention oh, yeah. to detail, just spot on. And yeah, I just love this movie. It's one of the best of the year. It's the best comedy of the year. It's got more laughs, I think, than any other movie this year, mm-hmm. for sure. 
uh, intentional ones, you know, un- the unintentional ones, you know, <laughs> there, there some that might compete. But uh, in terms of intended laughs, this movie is phenomenal. And I, I'm just so excited about what Emma Seligman does. And yeah, to the point, like, I, you can address this way better than me, but like seeing characters like this, queer characters like this in this kind of movie, this is unprecedented, right? You've not seen characters like this before. Um, not high school necessarily. Yeah, I mean, um, like I think for the longest time, all gay characters had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, they, there's no nuance, and we talked about this when we talked about cruising. Uh, you know, and you can't have a killer who's gay. You can't have a bad guy who's gay, LGBT, whatever. Because of the fact that we don't have our rights. This to me is like gay rights. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's, it's just so like, it's funny and it's raunchy and it's so matter of fact. I think that's what I like the most about it is that it's just from the very first scene, they're just gay. And they just said, mm-hmm. you know what? Well, we're the only gay kids that do this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, that's refreshing. And I was sitting in a theater full of like straight white guys and their dates. And it was getting the laughs. And nobody was like, nobody got up and walked out. And, you know, or mm-hmm. it was like, oh, come on, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody said shit about it. And that was great to me. Um, in our little small town, you know, I, I expected some people to be pissed or whatever, but they weren't. And it also, it really got laughs. I can't, <laughs> I, I know I was very <laughs> surprised because some of the stuff was pretty queer and a little, you know, a little like kind of inside baseball, but people loved it. People got it and they loved it. And that was refreshing. Just like the whole this movie. This is the was. kind of like, this is the kind of like Frank sexuality that, that American pie was able to do with four male characters and had never, you know, uh, we've just not seen this type of thing. And we've seen like straight female characters, like the American pie movie, the American pie girls rules does something similar in allowing those characters, you know, sexual agency. But like, this is the first time I can recall in a mainstream movie, seeing young gay characters being able to express the fact that they're horny, just the fact Mm -hmm. that they're horny, they have hormones. They want, to have sex and there are people that they want to have sex with that is stunningly rare yeah and one thing too that about it that i heard a lot of um not necessarily criticism but a little bit of a buzz that the movie's tagline is a movie about empowering women and in in parentheses the hot ones and (laughs) what was funny about it is like the criticism was coming from the far right. Well, it, I, that's not what the, you know, that's not, is this the world that liberals want? I thought they wanted, you know, they wanted it. Everybody, even the ugly women are important. And I heard a lot of that criticism about this, but when you watch the movie, okay, I get it now. It's, you know, it's not about empowering the hot girls. It's about fucking them. It just happens to be two women <laughs> who are fucking. Yeah. So. I love this movie. And it's I, one of the best of the oh, year. Yeah. I was just going to say, I wanna- I don't want to, like, spoil it because I want everybody to see it. But the scene with uh, Rachel Sennett and Kaya Gerber in the bedroom the way it goes yeah. is just like, oh, that's perfect. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's a good scene. It's a good scene. All right. Uh, let's move on now to our classic. And we're going back in time to cover They Live from director John Carpenter and starring Rowdy Roddy Piper uh, on the, the story of aliens on Earth uh, having fully infiltrated every aspect of our society and controlling us through mind control devices that can only be upended by special sunglasses. And uh, when we talked about this before, I've talked about my, my love of, of they live. I, I like the, I like this movie a lot. 
I like this. This is maybe more my my kind of Carpenter movie as opposed to uh, the Halloween films. Uh, I think this is on the higher end of what he's done, and I think the I don't really know what else I can say other than I think Roddy Piper is the kind of perfect star for this. He's such a blank slate, this big meaty blank slate of a person that it kind of fits that he's the one fighting this battle because he's the kind of guy who normally wouldn't be awakened to the the things around him. He'd just be going along his daily life, just kind of uh, watching Fox News. And instead, he's the guy who has to, to he's like, oh, my God, I've seen I'm seeing the world for real for the first time. And I've got to stop this. Uh, so what was what is your long term take on They Live? Well, okay, so John Nada—that's the guy. That's his his name, even though it's not, he's never given a name in the entire movie. But he's billed as Nada, and I think that having seen this movie a handful of times over the last thirty-five years, it's it never it never seems old to me because it seems like we are all living in a simulation. We are all, it would be so easy to control us by aliens because we're all fighting. We're all like everybody's poor and downtrodden and they're just trying to keep their head above water and the aliens could come in tomorrow and we would never know it if they came in like this. Um, And I really, so I went to see it. Uh, we picked it because it was going to be in the theaters as a fathom event. And I, mm-hmm. I went to the theater. I was so pumped to watch it that, you know, I Cinemark has this new thing where they're now charging you to pick up your stuff. So I thought, well, I will just go and get my snacks in line. And 40 minutes later, I was 15 minutes late for the movie because they were just horrible. Um, I ended up giving up and going, getting a refund and watching it at home. And let me tell you, seeing it at home kind of brought that, the bleakness to it because I was alone. It wasn't like I was watching it with a bunch of other people. It was that I was sitting alone in a room watching this movie about a guy who feels alone because he's he realizes that it's kind of him against the aliens. And one of the things that John Carpenter does so well is he puts you in the shoes of his protagonist mm-hmm. and gives you time to get to know Nada that he is, you know, he's a cipher. He just he comes onto the scene and just needs to work, wants to work. And then he has that weird homosexual interlude with Keith David um, where they're following each other and giving each other the eye and Keith David's watching him dig kind of like, I just, I watched that. I'm like, wait a minute. I never really thought about that before, but I think he kind of wants to fuck him. Um, So that's why they fight. That's why they (laughs) fight for 10 minutes. Um, You know, it's all sublimating your rage. Trust me. Um, But, (laughs) You know, Carpenter gives us that that long introduction to the character so that we'll be on his side. Mm. And I'm sure, based on reading tweets or, or X's or whatever they're called now, there's a lot of people that would simp for the alien overlords just because oh. they think they're going to get somewhere. Yeah. I and mean, they already do it for humans. Well, people we think are human nominally. Um, but we're on his side from the first scene because we've all been there. We've all, you know, been in that downtrodden place where nothing is going to be right ever. And he, he's lucky enough to realize pretty quickly that the deck is stacked against him. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the capitalist society that we live in is all a front for, you know, aliens who, just going to terraform our world and that's the most that to me is the most remarkable part of this movie is just how resonant that theme is that you know the mind control devices the you know the consume and then the very 
the messages that are buried uh, that are covering every layer of this society and that people can't see that that is so ahead of its time i mean i know orwell had done something you know before that that probably inspired you know carpenter but uh, the by the same notion he's he created something in this in they live that is so resonant and so timely and still remains so effective today that if you watch they live today at any age you're going to see this and go yeah that sounds right to me yeah yeah i mean the prescience of this of this show is i i just it (laughs) i i just can't get over how how it just it's so resonant today and everything that you know like i've I made the mistake of a few months ago of looking up or looking at a, uh, an Instagram account called fuck you. I quit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but it's about how work and workplaces are just some of the worst places in the world. And it's because we're not meant to do backbreaking work five days a week, sometimes seven days a week. We're just not. And yeah. how, all the joy is sucked out of our lives when we should be able to, you know, they're the, the people in this movie are happiest where they're in the homeless encampment and they're all just teaching each other and, you know, being more of a, an egalitarian society and showing, mm-hmm. you know, each other how to do little things. And not that I'm a communist, my God, I want, I want everybody <laughs> to buy my shit, but I, I kind of feel like, yeah, we, we know the the tweet. Um, you know, I I think the fact that you know AI is doing all the art and music and poetry, and people are still working their shitty jobs is kind of fucked up. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I everybody's like, oh, I wish we were getting in aliens so that we could, you know, like everybody would come together. And I just want to be like, have you ever seen They Live? Because those are the kind of aliens we're going to get. <laughs> That that asshole Bill Maher said something this week that that kind of reminded me of, of something along the lines of what you just said there, where he said that writers believe that they deserve to be able to make a living as a writer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and they want to yeah. get they want to get paid for the work they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> That's the kind of guy who's going to shake the alien's hand and go, well, you know, hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate you, uh, you know, taking over for us. Is <laughs> that kind of embrace the aliens of they live and you know pay, pave the way for them? Um, he would recently, definitely be and I, and I can, Absolutely, uh, I've recently embraced an ethos that I know is going to get me in trouble. I, I know people are going to—it's going to trigger a lot of people when they hear me say it. But I've been saying this for a little while, and it applies to me. It applies to everyone. There, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. It doesn't exist. Everything you do is tainted. Every little thing that you love, the, from the microphone in my hand to all of your Star Wars figures in your room, Jeff, all tainted <laughs> by mm-hmm. the by the way that these companies have brought them about, brought them to be in our hands today. And we've and to to the point of they live, we all just sort of accept that. We all just yeah. sort of accept the that the the thing. I'm holding a Coke bottle in my hand right now. It's going to destroy, you know, the environment. <laughs> And it's destroying me <laughs> as I drink it, but I'm doing it, you know. Well, and we don't want to talk about this. And Roddy Piper is like screaming into the universe. You pay attention to that. Look what's happening. Look what they're doing to us. And they're like, "Dude, yeah, I just want to cope, man." <laughs> you know, I think there's a so I think there's a happy medium. You know, everybody can do the things that they love and be what they love and whatever. Um, I don't necessarily anymore subscribe to the fact that, you know, if you work hard and everything, you you know, your life will be great because that's, you know, who's telling us that the people who we work for. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think that we are at a point in our society and I think it's kind of, you know, it's reminiscent of this movie where we're all starting to wake up a little bit. We're starting to put the glasses on and see who's pulling these strings and Mm -hmm. who the puppet masters are, are not good people. And, 
you know, in the case of people like Jeff Bezos, they're barely people at all. Um, <laughs> you know, like everybody. If, if right, he was right a, now, if he was an alien, we would not. I mean, no one would be the least bit surprised and we'd all just go on with our lives. No, you know, him and Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. And, you know, I th- like there's a thing going on right now on Twitter X that he is going after the Anti-Defamation League. You know, like really, the, somebody the Jewish go after you know. Yes, because they're demanding that you know this ad is taken off and this ad is taken off and ad revenue is down. First of all, take responsibility for the fact that you came in and fucked up a platform. Um, mm-hmm. Second of all, just because you think that everybody should get to say whatever insane, racist, anti-Semitic shit. Just because you think that's right doesn't mean that everybody else thinks that's right. Um, Mm -hmm. And if somebody came tomorrow and unmasked Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, anybody uh, on national TV as an alien, I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised. Yeah, no, we wouldn't. It would be like, well, there's a great, the best, one of the best Simpsons gags of all time. Uh, is when the, the it's a Halloween episode. Two aliens have come to Earth, and they've replaced Bill Clinton and Bob Dole with themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and once they're unmasked, everybody just goes look, looks at them and go, "Well, we got to vote for one of them." <laughs> like they're yeah, the yeah, overlords. <laughs> you know, I, I I feel like setting this movie in L.A. It could only it it L.A. as a character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, the, the homeless population there is so big. And yes, I'm aware as somebody who lived there that it can be disgusting. But honestly, if you were homeless, would you want to live in Antarctica or sunny California? Um, but it's, it's, it's such a, a cliche at this point that L.A. is filled with homeless people that you don't really get that you don't get to kind of discover that through this movie that, yeah, they're all being held to an un- impossible standard of living. And who can reach that? Only the aliens, mm-hmm. only the, um, you know, the people who have thrown over their themselves to the aliens. So uh, only the people without ethics are the ones who can get over and 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 live and thrive, and, and we're seeing that more and more. People who are willing to be unethical and and only enrich themselves and only look out for themselves are the are are getting by, and they're okay with that, and they're going to vote for the people who continuously put them in a position where they can be unethical and and not care about the rest of the world and allow them to be selfish, and they're going to continue to allow that to happen because that's that benefits them. Uh, and I, I'm going to sing Kumbaya now and all that, but <laughs> I, I can't, I, it, it bothers me to no end. And there's, I don't see anything that we could possibly do about that because we rewarded selfishness for so long that, that now it's a, you know, it's a brand all of its own that has to be fed in order to, you know, keep the, keep our systems in place. Well, and it's it's most uniquely American. You know, we're that. the only we're the only developed nation that doesn't have healthcare as a basic right. And yeah. everybody's, you know, I've got family members who are just like, "Well, if you do that, your taxes are going to go up so much." And it's not that's just not true. It's they're going to go up, yes. But I would rather pay five percent more taxes and know that you're not going to have a heart attack and die because you can't afford to go to the hospital or take a fucking right. ambulance ride. Right you know, now, I, I mean, isn't GoFundMe basically that it's a tax yeah. on you to pay for people that you know who are dying. Is that exactly. not what you're doing already? If you're donating a hundred dollars to somebody's cancer, GoFundMe, guess what? That's exactly what we're talking about. when mm-hmm. We're talking about universal health care. You moron. But here's the deal. The people that are against healthcare yeah. are the people who wouldn't give a give a dollar to people who are dying. Maybe, you know. I mean, they're just 
we should not have to live like we were living 40 years ago when the, <laughs> you know with the aliens i just i it's baffling to me that people think this is okay yeah but this is you know john carpenter's best this is john carpenter at his best this type of stuff oh yeah I, absolutely I, gotta, I think this is way better than than most if not all of his horror stuff honestly i think mm-hmm. this is the smartest uh most thoughtful movie that he's ever made and uh, truly, this is one that I think you should be remembered for as opposed to the other stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got to begin to wrap up because I've got other business to get to tonight. But uh, I do want to mention the 93 podcast. Uh, we talked. We didn't want to talk about the movie Fatherhood. We didn't want to even fucking watch the movie Fatherhood with uh, Patrick <laughs> Swayze. Uh, Jeff, uh, I don't know if you know the premise of this film, but uh, Je- Patrick Swayze is a hoodlum who finds out that he's a father. Fatherhood. Get yeah, it? Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, so yeah, we tried to blow that <laughs> off. We tried to make it better by blowing that one off. And we thought, well, why don't we circle back to a movie that I think we liked, uh, Amy and I, uh, being of uh, Generation X. We both thought we liked Conehead <laughs> with Dan Aykroyd and Jim Curry. It turns out, no, in fact, we didn't like that movie. We didn't like it at all. Uh, <laughs> it's It's... It's as shrill and nonsensical as every other SNL movie. So we talked about that. And the movie that's coming out this week that's also on the show is called Calendar Girl. And this is a movie that came out 30 years ago starring Jason Priestley in which three friends travel to Los Angeles so they can go to Marilyn Monroe's house to see if they can have sex with her. Wonderful premise. Just you know, <sighs> And it happens to be set. It's set in 1962. Just days before her death so i'm thinking to myself if you watch this and blonde back to back <laughs> that would count as a dystopia <laughs> that's a dystopia doubleheader right there um it is bleak it's so bleak uh but it did lead to a, a question that i'm going to pose to you jeff do you know what the term canoeing means oh god uh no do i want to know Canoeing is just sex. It's sex in the nineteen, in the late nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties. For some reason, they called it canoeing, and I, for the life of me, I'm trying to draw out the logic of what what connects canoes to sex. <laughs> and for the life of me, I've found no way to cross the bridge between <laughs> sex and canoes. I have no idea. The the literal Google definition, Amy reads this on the show, is about, they basically said it's about uh, tipping a lot of canoes. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what does that have to do with sex? Well, you, you get a woman in a canoe, you tip it over, she has to take her clothes off, and if she takes her clothes off, you're having sex with her. <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. I'm, uh, trying, no. I'm trying to understand how they got here. This term canoeing is used so many times in this shitty, shitty movie because they all want to canoe Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Baffling that this ever existed. And, and of course it's the guy who directed two big mama's house sequels and, uh, David Arquette nineties comedy. So, you know, that man is a fucking criminal. (laughs) All right, uh, we have to get uh, Bob back in here so we can uh, to, we can wrap up. I can't stick around for for uh, flick chart, but maybe Bob can. So the two of you maybe we can do that. Yeah, it's up to him. Yeah, let's see if we can get Bob back in here. I've sent him a message. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's just expecting us to end it on our own. I mean, maybe. Just let it go, and then tomorrow people wake up to a 12-hour show. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe that's... Uh, I guess that's the way. I'm sorry, but I know everybody loves Flick Chart, but we don't have Bob, and I've got to get to my other job. So, uh, Jeff, well, thank you. Have you have fun. Have fun. I'm going to drop off. Maybe Bob will jump on with you. 
And don't forget, everybody, come to the Quad City Toy Show in East Moline at the Rock Island Fairgrounds this Saturday. Saturday only. Uh, come buy some of my shit so that I can afford to buy the ghost. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and uh, if you want to engage the conversation that Jeff and I were having earlier about critics and influencers, you can do so. Uh, use my article uh, on the uh, which is up on our Facebook page as you're jumping off point to uh, join that conversation. We'd love to have you be part of the show that way. We've been rebuilding the Facebook page a lot uh, with a lot of new content, uh, trailers, posters, uh, behind the scenes photos, news, uh, my stuff, Jeff's stuff. So uh, be be sure to d- interact with us on the Facebook page. We're doing everything we can to try and get that back up and running and get people you know engaged with it. So please do. Join us on Facebook. Everyone's a critic on Facebook. All right, Jeff, I'm jumping off. If uh, you want to wait for Bob to come back, you can. Otherwise, (laughs) you guys have fun. (laughs) Have a good night. Thanks a lot.